This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? Oh, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. How about you? Busy all week for the pair of us? Uh, yes, definitely could say that. I am now a married man, speaking to you, doing my first podcast as a as a uh, married man, t- all tied up. No, it was a great day. Uh, the weather came out for us, which was great, and it's been nice coming home and just having a bit of a relax this week before we go on holiday um, on Monday, as we record on Saturday morning. So looking forward to that, recharge the batteries, get in the pool, take Maya swimming for the first time um, on ho- her first holiday. So Looking forward to a nice little break with the family, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a certainly a whirlwind week. I can't believe that six days ago, well, seven days ago, we were traveling down to to the wedding venue. So this week has, has flown. Um, of course, plenty has happened in the world of the championship as well, which looking forward to dissecting with you over the next hour or so. Um, on this episode, we're going to obviously review the playoff final, which I do appreciate is slightly out of date given it took place a week ago, but we're going to try and put a fresh spin on it and also take a look at the teams that came down from the Premier League in the end and also the winners of the League One playoff final Sheffield Wednesday. So we're going to take a look at those four teams and how they may fare in the Championship as well. As always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And on today's pod, as I say, we'll be reflecting on the final of the championship and taking a look at those teams that will be entering the division next season. George, cast your mind back seven days. Wembley Stadium, Coventry City won, Luton Town won, Luton Town promoted with a 6-5 victory on penalties. Fankati Darbo was the unfortunate man to miss. Fantastic penalties, it should be said as well, up until that point. And Luton are a Premier League club. There was very little to separate them in 120 minutes and even less to separate them from 12 yards. It was a game that ebbed and flowed in terms of momentum, although it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a classic, but... These games so rarely are, given the stakes that are attached to them, the the prize pot at the end. And I thought that Luton obviously started the better of the two teams and probably could have killed it in the first half, I felt. Got themselves in front. Brilliant goal from Clark, fired in at the near post. Brilliant work in the build-up from Adebayo, twisting McFadden in and out. Um, He really came to the fore, uh, Adebayo, who's probably been a little bit quieter this season than last with Carlton Morris perhaps being sort of Luton's main man and, and Adebayo maybe not regressing but slightly dropping I would I would suggest compared to last season where it felt like if he didn't score Luton would struggle but he really stepped up and showed what he's about and why he will be an important player in the Premier League and why he's got the the skill set to, to be a nuisance particularly on the counter-attack for Luton really good skill um, a little bit similar to the Isaac assist I would suggest um, for Newcastle against Everton about a month or so back where just twisting and turning, lovely pullback and fired in by Jordan Clark at the near post. And Luton had all the momentum from that point and they could have really killed it there. I think if they got a second, that probably would have been game over. Didn't get that and, and, and Coventry worked their way back into the game 
as the, the half wore on and into the second half. And we said before the game how, obviously, we know Coventry are the best counter-attacking team in the Championship. They love to play on the break. But how many opportunities would they get to do that against this Luton side that are quite happy to sit you know, in a mid-to-low block, get men behind the ball once they're in front and are quite difficult to break down and don't like to give up much space in behind them. So how many opportunities would they get? And when they did get them, got to be clinical, got to punish them. Well, they really only had one all game and they made it count. Giocres getting in behind uh, uh, show, pulling it back and Gustavo Harmer with a really cool finish into the bottom corner. And then the momentum was with Coventry. But... Big chances were, were really at a premium from then. Obviously, Luton thought they'd won it right at the death with Taylor, but VAR correctly stepping in to rule that out for handball. It would have been a real travesty, I think, if Luton had gone up in that way, for them as well as Coventry, because they deserve better than that. Um, they don't deserve for a game to be settled in that way, in that controversy, to be honest, either way you look at it. So I'm glad it didn't go get decided by that. VAR, you know, we, we're quick to slag it off, but this is why we have it certainly for those clear-cut decisions which are absolutely non-debatable. And in the end, it was decided on, on penalty kicks with Darbo missing the decisive penalty. Luton in the Premier League, George, it's, good, it's some story, but a good game between two sides which was just as evenly matched as we expected before kickoff. Yeah, it certainly was, to be fair. And... To be, to be totally honest with you, I thought the first half, it was kind of a parallel to the way the first leg, well, the first half of the first leg went between Coventry and Middlesbrough. If you think back two or three weeks, it was it was Middlesbrough that were, you know, the better side in that first half. They dominated the game. They had the better of the chances. Coventry couldn't really get a grip on the ball. And then that changed in the second half. And it was identical as well in the final at Wembley last weekend. You know, Luton came out the traps really well. They... they Put, put Coventry on the back foot. They dictated the game. They pressed high up the pitch like they often do. They got the goal relatively early on. Really good finish from Jordan Clark after great work from Adebayo, as you said. And at that point, Luton looked as though they were going to be able to really kick on and get, you know, maybe one, maybe two go two goals more before the interval. And had they have done that, it would have been game set and match before half time. But Coventry in the second half, just as they did in that first leg against Middlesbrough, they stepped it up a little bit. They did manage to get a grip on the game. They managed to, you know, wrestle the midfield battle a little bit. And they dragged themselves back into the game. And once they got the equaliser, they were the side that were in the ascendancy and looking the more likely winner. So, to be fair, I think it was a fair conclusion that it went to extra time. Uh, and as it so often is the case in extra time, there, there was very little to split them, you know, in any match in extra time. It's often a case where there's very little in it, tired bodies, tired minds. And obviously, it went all the way to spot kicks. And at that point, it genuinely was a lottery. Either side, you know, to be fair, could have considered themselves, you know, happy to have won the game sort of thing. Had they have won, they would have been proud of their efforts and accepted that they were worthy winners. It was a 50-50 game, like you said. But obviously, the lottery of spot kicks and, you know, all of them except for poor Darbo's were, were absolutely spot on. It was a real shame for him. And unfortunately, in that situation, there has to be a loser. And unfortunately for him, it was he that blazed the ball over the bar and that promoted Luton Town to the Premier League. And, you know, however they did it, what an achievement for Luton. It's it's a staggering story, isn't it? Nine years ago, they, were play, they, they, they won the Conference Premier, as it was formerly known, you know, I put a tweet out after the game on, I think it was a certain date in the build-up to the final. They'd lost 1-0 at home or something to Hyde United. 
And here they are nine years later, next season, rubbing shoulders with the likes of Erling Haaland and, and Mohamed Salah. It's it's a true fairy tale story. And it would have been the exact same for, for Coventry, let's be fair. They've had a remarkable rise themselves. But for, for Rob Edwards and Luton, it's an unbelievable achievement. One of the greatest fairy tale stories the Championship's ever seen, possibly the greatest. And good luck to them because I always believe, as much as we love the playoffs, the drama that comes with it, on reflection, in truth, it should be the three best teams that get promoted, in fairness. And of course, Luton took third this season, so they fully deserved it. They were brilliant over the course of the season. They, you know, they put together that really lengthy unbeaten run towards the end of the league campaign. They earned a lot of friends along the way, a lot of admirers, and they deserved it. Bottom line is they deserved it. And they did a brilliant job under Rob Edwards since he came in in November. He, you know, after what happened at Watford, it would have been easy for him to take a little bit of time out to recover, but he, he grasped the, the nettle with both hands and just got stuck in. And it was the perfect match from the outset. And we said that right at the very beginning. It felt like a match made in heaven after what he'd done, you know, at Forest Green Rovers last season. Obviously, Luton, you know, with respect, they aren't the biggest club at this level. Obviously, historically, they've been a very big club in the past, but in terms of budget-wise... They were, you know, they were the little fish in the big pond in the championship, but not anymore. They're, they're now the little fish in the Premier League. So congratulations to them. A truly stunning story. And, you know, a lot of excitement about what they're going to do this summer because, yes, they're going to need a lot of new faces to certainly compete in the Premier League. But that's all part of the excitement that comes with getting promoted. Yeah, absolutely. So big As you say, a, a real fairy tale story for Luton to be back deserved. in the top flight, promoted to the Premier League for the first time. They dropped out of the top flight just before the Premier League started, so missed out on the riches that followed. And it really is the ultimate football journey. Undoubtedly, Kenilworth Road is not going to be a fun place for teams to visit. I'm absolutely fascinated to see how that story develops in terms of the stadium and what is forced upon them in terms of changes for next season, bearing in mind that they've got a new stadium around the corner the following campaign. How much will they have to spend to to upgrade it? What What's the ruling going to be? I'm intrigued to see how that goes, but it will not be a pleasant place for, for teams to visit. And I mean that in the most positive sense for Luton, it's going to be a real asset for them. And if they are going to stay in the Premier League, I've no doubt that their form at Kenilworth Road will have to be really, really strong in order for them to to, to cause problems for visiting teams. And I, I genuinely think they will do that. Of course, they're going to be favourites for relegation. That's just how this works. It, it was the same for Bournemouth in many ways, who are similar in terms of size of club, punching above their weight to be in the Premier League, but they've stayed up relatively comfortably this year, which didn't always look possible. So there's no reason that Rob Edwards and his team, with the right recruitment, with the right decisions behind the scenes, which is what's got them into this position in the first place, they can't succeed, they can't thrive in the Premier League. Brentford are not a massive football club, and yet they've slowly and slowly built and there's no reason we will automatically be seeing Luton Town next season. Well, the season after, should I say, in, back in the Championship. I don't think football works like that anymore. And that's really refreshing and positive for the, the pyramid and the ecosystem in general because correct decisions and good footballing um, brains should be able to manifest success in this way without just throwing money at it. And Luton are the ultimate story of that over the last decade. And there's fewer... Clubs that have gone under a bigger transformation. It's also quite amusing to me that Nathan Jones has only overseen one promotion in their story, which was League Two to League One, because obviously he left to join Stoke before they officially 
found themselves in the Championship and, of course, jumped ship before they were in the Premier League. Obviously, Luton in League One, they were Nathan Jones can really have that promotion on his CV compared to this one, which is, you know, Rob Edwards' work, absolutely no doubt about that. In terms of Coventry, George, looking at their future for next season, the big question is, what will the squad look like next season, of course? Can they keep their star players, Gustavo Harmer and Victor Jokerez, both out of contract in 2024? So if they're not going to sign new contracts, they need to cash in, if we're being completely honest. Can they recoup 30, £35 million? Pounds? I would expect so, personally. I think that's what they should demand, those players. And particularly in the case of Harmer, I think that during the playoffs, he's really stepped up and shown he's a Premier League player. Jokeres probably more across the entirety of the season, but Harmer really stepped up in the playoffs. He was probably the player of the the, the playoff games. So he's definitely shown he's ready to play in the Premier League. If I was Mark Robbins, I would be keen to cash in on them, I think, get them both out the door, get that money in the bank and shed your skin a little bit. It's got, This could be a really exciting time for Coventry and they don't need out-of-contract stars hanging over their heads, really. They've got the new ownership. It could be time to shed the skin and start again. They've got a bright future. They've got the stadium sorted. They've got ownership sorted. And if they can get the right money at the right time for these players, which looks like it will be this summer, I would back him and the recruitment team there to spend it wisely and you know, maybe sign Luke McNally for, for, on, a, on a permanent contract. Get some of these players, bulk the squad up a little bit and... I think that that is a more sustainable way to go than than pip all your hopes on Harmer and Gyokerez getting you promoted next season and potentially losing both on free transfers. That's not the way Coventry have built the success to get to this point and it's not the way I think they should do it going forward either. No, I agree. First and foremost reflecting obviously on what happened last weekend, what a season Coventry had. I think we can all agree, you know, we've spoken about Luton's remarkable rise. Coventry, it, it was no different. Five years ago, like Luton, they were playing in League Two to have been one game away. You know, a few penalty kicks away from the Premier League is an unbelievable story, first and foremost. Mark Robbins has overseen an unbelievable transformation of that football club against the backdrop of so many off-field troubles. And now Coventry in a position where Things are stable off the pitch with, with Doug King coming in as the new owner. Obviously, Mark Robbins has signed that new contract to keep him there. Uh, I think it's still 2027 off the top of my head. I'm sure it is. It feels like they've now got the building blocks in place to really push on, you know, and build on this. But of course, the elephant in the room, or should we say elephants in the room, is the futures of Gustavo Hamer and Tiokarez, as you've just said. They are Coventry's star attractions. They are their main men. They've been absolutely unbelievable this season, both being instrumental in a, in a remarkable campaign. The contract situation, of course, makes it difficult for Coventry to retain both of them. There's going to be Premier League interest, undoubtedly. There's there's no no question about it. Jokerez, I think, could easily fall into... I think both of them could easily get in half probably of the Premier six, League. Seven, maybe at eight least. Premier League starting 11s quite. Yeah. Harmers. Harmers... Like you said, the playoffs, he really stepped up. But even just before the playoffs, towards the end of the league campaign, he went on a really good run of form with assists and goals. And, you know, them driving runs he makes, the quality he uses, so calm as well in possession. Quality footballer as Jokeres is. But the big question is now for Coventry, do they bite the bullet and say, look, we've come this close this season with a few more additions this summer. We keep those two. 
can we have a real stab at it next season and go one better? The league, as we've said before, starting this podcast next season looks a hell of a lot stronger than it has this time around, which, you know, is going to mean those that have knocked on the door this season are going to have added, you know, added competitiveness from others that have dropped down and others that are going to look to kick on. Or do they cash in on those two? Like you said, probably make 30, 35 million pounds and what reinvest that I across think, the I think board. they've got to sell this. It's a really difficult have, one for Coventry to decide. too far to gamble. I think they're going to I think they're going to have to yeah they're going to have to probably cash in and reinvest that money wisely and you know depending on obviously who they target what they target obviously bringing in a top draw striker is going to be really difficult to replace somebody at the same level as quality as Jokeres that's going to eat into a good portion of you know hypothetically speaking a 35 million pound budget not saying that transfer fees recoup for those two would automatically then be spent on players again obviously transfer fees you know, money brought in is needed for more than just bringing players in in a football club. But say that Mark Robbins does have a bit of a bit of a kitty to play with, they are going to have to, you know, bring in some significant quality to replace those two. But across the board, you you think about the other players that Coventry had on loan this season, they're going to take some replacing. McNally, you've mentioned, Callum Doyle had an excellent season on loan from Manchester City. You know, there's a lot of players there that are going to need replacing. So I fear that Coventry might have to cash in. And as, as, as much as a shame as that is, for the long-term benefit of the football club, it probably is the best thing to do because they've got to keep, they've got to remain sustainable. They know they've got Mark Robbins tied down and they know they've got the best man for the job there. The job he's done is unbelievable. So if he's going to have a bit of money to spend, even though it might come at the expense of losing his two best players, for the long-term benefit of the football club, you know, it's probably the best thing to do. But the only thing I fear for Coventry now is... Because of what they've achieved this season, the expectation levels are now obviously going to soar, which is natural with any football club. But I think because a lot of Coventry fans recognise the journey they've been on, where they've come from in a very short space of time, and they will recognise the league is going to be stronger next season. It certainly looks it on paper at the moment. They are going to I'm have not really you know, that a higher level about the expectation of competition to, to get into what the playoffs you just said, Because season. I think Coventry so, fans will understand where they've come from how much they punched above their weight and equally how much the landscape of last year's championship they will, the definitely. upcoming championship is completely different. So I'm less concerned about that. Yeah. I think keeping Robbins, as we've we've always said, is their biggest asset. That's what they've got. They've got the stadium sorted. So I don't I don't really see well, that as a concern. Yeah. And I said that a few weeks ago, you know, as good as Jokeres and Harmer are, I love them both. They've both been Absolutely superb this season. Mark Robbins is that football club's biggest asset. For what he's done over the last five years, the journey he's taken them on, you know, it's unbelievable, quite frankly. And we said, didn't we, on our last podcast before the playoff final, the fact that one of Luton or Coventry would be in the Premier League next season is an unbelievable story in itself. So Coventry can be immensely proud of how far they've come in a very short amount of time. And you do have to think, this really realistically, should be just the beginning for this football club. They've had to put up with a lot of suffering, a lot of pain in the last few years. And, you know, to have been agonisingly close to the Premier League, it's going to hurt. But in the wide, grand scheme of things, they are still moving in the right direction. And, yeah, it, they probably are going to have to move move forward without their two best players. But if they can get good money for them, bring in reinforcements, bolster the, both the 11, the starting 11 and the squad to add a little bit of depth, because... You know, Coventry, they have a fair share of injuries at key moments this season. 
if they can just bolster the squad with a few more bodies, there's no reason why they certainly shouldn't be knocking on the playoff door again. So really intrigued to see what they do this summer. Feels like a really, really big one for them. But in terms of reflecting on the season that they've had, an unbelievable campaign and what a job Mark Robbins has done. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we're now going to take a look at some of the new teams that will be entering the Championship next season. We've already spoken so many times and I think we've all seen the graphics on social media going round. It's going to be a hell of a division next season. It's going to be as strong as it has been for many years. And that's also in no small doubt about the teams that are going to be coming down from the Premier League. Southampton, Leicester City and Leeds United all relegated. We'll start with Southampton, who finished rock bottom. It looked first and foremost like Russell Martin is going to be the man to lead their new era. He was expected to already have been confirmed as the new Southampton boss, but there's a bit of wrangling going on about compensation and how much they have to pay with Southampton. Um, technically a Premier League club when they made the first approach, obviously going into the Championship, I think Swansea trying to get a bit more compo, but one way or another, I expect it to get sorted and Russell Martin will be the new manager of Southampton. A lot of conjecture will be in part of this discussion about what the squads may look like, but I think it's fair to say you can expect the likes of James Ward-Prowse, Cal Walker-Peters, Romeo Lavia, they will leave the club, they're expected to go, but they're going to have a good core of EFL talent to build around ultimately. You think of their attack, you could have a front three of Nathan Teller on the right, Adam Armstrong on the left and Shea Adams down the middle. Three championship players who in recent seasons have scored 55 goals between them quite comfortably. They're going to have Bazunu, for example, who I know had a really tough year in the Premier League. It was probably too big a jump to go from League One straight into the Premier League. But in the championship, it might be a decent grounding for him to re-establish his confidence um, and just a better environment for him to continue to develop as a goalkeeper, undoubtedly talented. Probably needs some work in defence the most. You probably, maybe you'll get another season out of Livramento, who obviously burst onto the scene, but then did his ACL, missed the entirety of last season. Centre-backs probably need a bit of work. Bella Kocha being a German international, probably move on. Uh, Perot, you'd expect to go as well. So there's going to be a bit of work needed in midfield and the back line. And obviously some coaching with Russell Martin's very unique style of play. But it seems a relatively sensible appointment from Southampton. They've been proactive early doors. And although they got a lot of their decisions wrong last season in terms of recruitment and and both in terms of players and management, I do kind of respect the, the way they're trying to do this with Sport Republic. They want to use young players. They want to use data and they have been proactive in their managerial searches. So to get Martin through the door early is what I think gives them a small head start, but undoubtedly of the three squads, you'd probably say it's the weakest in my opinion. Obviously that's why they finished bottom of the, the, the Premier League, but do they perhaps have more players that can adapt to the level and, and more easily slot in uh, in championship standard perhaps. So it's going to be really interesting with Southampton. We've not seen them in a decade. Looking forward to getting St Mary's ticked off uh, off on my uh, my grounds next year. I've not been there. Intrigued to see how how they develop over the next few months and what sort of signings they make. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of work to be done. You fear, and obviously, as you've touched on, Russell Martin widely expected to become their new manager, but obviously at the minute that's that's yet to be officially rubber stamped and confirmed. So 
they are still technically managerless. It's not done yet. But you look at the squad and I'm I'm looking at the contracts of these players at the moment. There's a lot of players there on really long, lengthy contracts. A lot of them contracted till 2026, 2027, some of them. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a case of do they trust these players if they're prepared to stay and play at championship level? Or are they going to be able to offload these players and bring in funds to bring in you know, players who are more acclimatised with the championship as we've seen in recent years, you know, like the, the top-end championship players. But like you've said, certainly in in regards to the attack, for instance, Jay Adams, Armstrong, you know, they're the sort of players that are championship-made, they're championship-ready. You look at midfield, you could see someone like Joe Aribo cutting it in the championship. Will He's, Smallbone will obviously go back into will the Will Smallbone, well. yeah. James Bree at right-back obviously was excellent at Luton and that move there back in January. Liveramento is another one that's coming back, you would think. So there are players among them that are going to need to be moved on. Nathan, tell us a, a big question mark because I would be very surprised if Burnley didn't try to sign him permanently now they've gone up. But if they don't and Southampton do manage to retain him, I mean, what a winger you've got there to start with. It's it's perfect, really, isn't it? But there's so many players in this squad that you would expect to to move on and, and try something else, such as, you know, the likes of Carlos Alcaraz, who was one of their better players towards the end of this season. Uh, Lianco, the Brazilian centre-back. Kyle Walker-Peters, he's often been linked with bigger Premier League clubs. I remember Manchester United, Chelsea have been linked with him in the not-too-recent past. So there's certainly a big job to be had there, presuming Russell Martin comes in. Will there be a little raid on Swansea for one or two? Maybe. You know, could Ryan Manning like, got a free transfer looks an absolute shoe yeah. in, doesn't it? Could maybe Joel Pirot if he wants to strengthen his forward Matt line. Matt Grimes. Yeah, Matt Grimes. Obviously, we know Russell Martin loves to, you know, boss possession. Matt Grimes is a passing master at this level. You know, there's some there's some quality within that squad, but it certainly needs topping up. There's no doubt about that. But you think back to Southampton of the past when they were an EFL team. You think back to the days of Ricky Lambert, Adam Lalana, um, Gully de Prado. I always remembered him. There were some real household names of like peak championship years, like the Empower Championship when Southampton were last in this division. But obviously, the game has changed. The Southampton squad has changed. Football culture has changed. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. But I think there's certainly, certainly some foundations to be built on. There's certainly a case of probably the majority of positions covered in terms of they've got something to work with, but there's certainly, you know, pieces of the jigsaw that are missing at the moment, which you would imagine will come. But you would argue that there are going to be quite a few departures. But among that, there's probably quite a few players there that are ready made to try and get their careers back on track after such a difficult time this year. And it's their opportunity to prove themselves. So really interesting because I think all of the three relegated clubs, and we'll touch on the other two in a few minutes, They've all got work to do, but at the same time, they've already got, you know, bases covered. And I would argue, possibly, in terms of retaining players, Southampton might be in the best position to do that of the three. And I think Leicester, obviously, they're going to be the ones that are going to be targeted in the transfer market. They've got a lot of players that are simply not going to play in the championship. Leeds, difficult. Their squad's out of, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mess, really, with the amount of turnover of players they've had in recent years but Southampton I don't know I think for the Saints next season it's either going to go one or two ways where they could really be galvanized and kick on and try and push back at the straight you know at the first attempt or they're going to require a little bit of adjustment maybe a couple of years to stabilize and then go 
but we'll see. It's very early days. Obviously, the transfer market doesn't open for over you know another week and a half as we record this, and it's difficult to make predictions at this point. But in terms of the squad as it is now, it's certainly in need of adjustments, but there's certainly a base for presumably Russell Martin to try and work with. Second bottom was Leeds United back in the Championship after a three-year absence. I think these are perhaps the most the team that could most go either way. I could see them finishing top or thirteenth, to be honest, depending on what yeah. happens this summer. There is so much up in the air with the ownership right now, with the 49ers and Andrea Radrazani, who was of course the, the chairman that took them up. For those that don't know, I'll just give a little bit of background to the ownership situation at Leeds United. Uh, Andrea Radrazani is still the majority stakeholder at Leeds United and the uh the San Francisco 49ers, which is uh group they own, uh, I think it's 40% roughly of Leeds United. There was a deal in place for them to complete a full takeover in January 2024 for around £500 million. That was agreed on the basis that Leeds United were a Premier League football club. There was never a price negotiated for Leeds United in the Championship. So that deal is null and void. It's off the table. Now, from reports that you read from reputable sources... And the 49ers are still interested in buying Leeds United, but of course it's going to be a a far more reduced price than the £500 million that Rajasani was hoping to bank. Now, of course, there's been a lot of up uh, turmoil this week because Adrian Rajasani has also bought Sampdoria in Italy, his native country, who were in a bit of financial peril. And it has emerged this week that he offered up Ellen Road as £26 million worth of collateral in order to get a loan to buy Sampdoria. Now, whether that loan actually went through with Ellen Roder's collateral is is unclear at this point, but an initial heed of um, intent was signed. So it was definitely part of the plan, whether it eventually went through, it's unknown. That makes Rodrizani's position at Leeds completely untenable. He will not be welcomed back into the stadium. And that situation needs resolving. If the 49ers take over Leeds in the next month before the start of July, I think Leeds can recover. If they don't, they're in massive trouble. They've got no manager or head coach, no director of football after Victor Orta left. Um, they've got no style and identity, having you know drifted from Bielsa to Marsh to Javi Grazia to Sam Allardyce. You couldn't get more polarizing styles of football. On the flip side, having said all that, Leeds, if they get the ownership sorted, have everything capable of winning automatic promotion next season. They've got a young squad. They've got lots of sellable assets to raise funds. You think in the likes of Jack Harrison, Ilan Meslier, who didn't obviously start uh, end the season as number one or, or play particularly well at the back end of the season, but very difficult too when you're conceding 70 goals a season, I would argue. You've got Robin Koch, who's a German international. You've got Brendan Harrison, who'll probably make them a little bit of money. Tyler Adams, although they might want to keep him. Rodrigo. And then you've got players like Willie Nonto, Somerville, who they would probably like to keep for a year to try and say, give us a year, let's try and get up, and then you can carry on your career with us in the Premier League. They can raise funds. They've got an amazing fan base. They've got a good stadium. They've got good infrastructure. If they can resolve the problems behind the scenes and recruit well, recruit quickly, get the right manager in place as they have before. We know the power of Leeds United and the size of that football club. If they get it right, they could win automatic promotion. If they get it wrong, Leeds United are not 
And there's no such thing as too big to drift. Leeds United know that better than everyone. They've been in League One. They've been marooned in the Championship for 16 years. They know how difficult it is to get out of this league. If they get everything right, they will. They can easily go back up next season. If this drags on, the ownership, they are in big trouble and they could finish mid-table. Certainly. I think you've summed it up really well. It almost feels like they're in a race against time to get everything in place ahead of the big kickoff. you know, in what, nine weeks' time, give or take, something like that. It's certainly a really messy situation. You know, you mentioned the, the the situation that's happened this week with the stadium and Andrea Radrizani. It's been a it's been an absolute mess. It's collateral damage, really, isn't it? There's no way that he can he can possibly recover from that. Like you said, he's not going to be welcomed back inside that stadium again. So they've got to come up with something and really quick. They've got to resolve that issue regarding the ownership. They've got to get an, a manager in place who you know is going to have a style that suits the the nucleus of the squad that they've got now. It is a really really I don't even know big what challenge. Style is. Like I don't even know well, what they're recruiting well, for. That's the thing. What what is the style? Because like you've said, they've gone from Marcelo Bielsa, drifted through a few more, and ended up at Sam Allardyce for like four weeks. It's it's been an absolute mess from top to bottom. Leads this season. It's just been a been a complete disaster really since Marcelo Bielsa left. Uh, in February last year, I think they won eleven league games in that time, and it's obviously a, a diabolical record that you know can't be defended. It's as simple as that. But you look at the squad as it is now. There's a lot of players within that squad that are going to have to go in terms of raising funds that are not going to be content with playing second tier football. But when you look at the younger members of the squad that probably think if we stick around here, we get a manager that can guide us. The situation with the ownership gets sorted. We could become heroes at this football club by leading them back up. You think to the likes of Charlie Creswell, uh, Cody Drame, um, even one another one you forget about who could have a key role to play next season if he's prepared to stick in the champion in the championship is Dan James. Been alone at Fulham this season. Joe Gelhart. Yeah, Joe Gelhart coming back from that Sunderland loan spell. You know, even Helder Costa's still on their books as well. You actually Helder forget about Costa still existed as a footballer. Yeah. <laughs> and then you think, obviously. Ian Pervader, could he finally play some sort of role as a backup player? Maybe, maybe not. You know, you've got Somerville, who's who's shown flashes of his capabilities. Patrick Bamford, obviously, who knows with him? Some people love him, some people hate him. Jack Harrison's probably one of the players that's likely to go, certainly from their pool of attackers. You know, he's never been short on suitors. He's really established himself as a Premier League player. But beyond that, there's going to be quite a few that you would think are going to move on. So... Really, really big summer for Leeds United, both on and off the pitch, because you've mentioned with the ownership situation, it needs sorting and quick. It really does. And if that if that is not settled, who as a manager is going to want to come into this football club with that massive cloud hanging over them, thinking, if I accept this job now, giving it by Andrea Radrizani, he sells and the new owners don't want me. I could be out of job within three weeks before the ball, first ball's even been kicked. I think the oh, one advantage in that massive, stopping that situation is the fact that the 49ers do own 40-45% yeah. of Leeds rather than well, a complete takeover from scratch. So I don't think that would happen. They've still got, obviously, Radrizani at the minute has got the majority stake and he's got the final say. So until, you know, his percentage is either, either lowered and hired in the 49ers' favour or he's just, you know, he's completely scrapped from the books totally, it's certainly a messy situation that needs resolving. But Again, Leeds, the issue for them is there's a lot of players out of contract next summer looking at their, 
at their figures at the minute. There are so many whose deals are up in 12 months' time. So they've really got to be sort of, you know, they've got to be cute and they've got to be clever in what they're going to do this summer. It feels massive for them. And I think, like you said, they could easily, if they get it right, they could be riding high at the top of this division next season. But on the flip side, they could easily be languishing in mid-table, maybe even lower lower half. You, you just don't know at the minute. And again, like I said on Southampton, with the, you know, forgetting about the ownership situation just for a moment, it is really hard to make a prediction on a team's you know season when the transfer window is not even opened and there's likely to be a big turnover in personnel. So difficult to say, but at the moment, the biggest situation for Leeds is that ownership and they've got to get it resolved sooner rather than later because if they don't, and this drags on into the summer. The transfer window opens in, you know, 11, 11 days' time. It's going to be a messy situation if this doesn't get sorted out. Leicester City, George, I still can't believe they are back in the championship. Me neither. The squad that they have. Stunned. I, I will say this now. If Leicester City don't get promoted next season, something terrible will have happened because they have got no excuse not to get promoted next season. I've never seen a team more well-set to bounce straight back. And I don't, I, I you know, as <laughs> as someone who's produced this podcast for the last five years, I understand that there are no God-given rights in the championship. Bigger clubs than Leicester City have fallen much further, but they have got everything at their fingertips to, to get this right and to make sure that this horrific season they've just had was just a blip. If you look at the players, first and foremost, Daniel Everson in goal, Luke Thomas, James Justin, Harry Souter, Keenan Dewsbury Hall, they are going to have a core of too good for the championship, but players that probably they'll get a year out of. Or players, someone like James Justin, who's just coming back from injury again, he'll stay. Suter will stay. You might get a year out of Dewsbury Hall because they're selling Barnes and Madison. They're also going to have probably the biggest budget in the league, particularly when you consider the funds they'll raise for Madison, Barnes. Yes, they've got a lot of players out of contract. I'm fully aware of that, but if they get their manager right, I don't see how Leicester City, Leicester City would have to really cock this up because they've got the a really good core of a team. They're going to have the biggest budget in the league. They're going to make the most money from player sales. They've got the best facility. They've got one of the best training grounds in Europe. Never mind the Premier League. Never mind the Championship. The big question mark with Leicester is who would be their manager? For me, I'm not sure I would stick with Dean Smith. I think... I would try and cut ties and have a real reset. I don't think he cost them. I don't think he relegated them. I quite like Dean Smith generally as a manager, although his stock has undoubtedly dropped because of how poor he was with Norwich. But I still think I'd want a fresh pair of eyes potentially coming in. But then again, they are completely re going to rework the squad. So I wouldn't be against Dean Smith, but I think if there is a real top option or if there's someone they can attract who's probably you know, a calibre above, then I think I would do that. But if not, I think there's much worse positions you could be in than have Dean Smith as the manager personally. Of all the three teams, Leicester seemed like the surest bet for me to finish in the top two or the top six. If I had to pick, I would say Leicester will finish the highest of these three teams right now if you had to, if you, you forced me to pick, which I'm going to force you to pick after in a minute. So for me, for Leicester, the, there are the fewest question marks apart from the manager, but even the manager they've got right now in Dean Smith, if he leads them on the opening day of next season, I don't think that's a disaster by any means. No, I don't. I think you've made a good point with saying that his stock has dropped, and it has. 
it has, you know, over the last couple of years, Dean Smith has regressed as a manager in certainly the jobs he's overseen. But you've got to remember, he got Aston Villa promoted. He did a he did a good job there. He did a very good job at Brentford over the spell he was there. Didn't get them up, but you know, he built that club up and he did do a good job over the years he was there. And, you know, he is a good manager at this level. He's proven that in his career. So it wouldn't be the worst decision in the world to stick with him. But if, like you said, they can bring somebody in of a better standard, not quite sure who that would be at the moment. No, me neither. That's a bit of a no, no, no names are coming and springing into my mind as we speak. But there probably is somebody out there somewhere that could come in and really, you know, be sort of a an attractive, sort of sexy appointment, if you get my meaning. Yeah. But the squad as a whole... Like you've said there, yes, there's going to be changes. You know, Yuri Tillemans, for starters, has already announced that he's going to he's going to go. Harvey Barnes is almost certainly going to go. James Madison will go. The likes of probably you know other ones that are sellable probably Ricardo Pereira, Kalechi Inacho, Castagne, Wilfred Ndidi. You know, Soyuncu. I think his contract's up. Yeah. The, the, you know, there's going to be big changes to that team. It's going to have a very different look to it. But you know, for instance, somebody like Jamie Vardy, I think he will stick around. He's got a year left on his deal. Yes, he's getting on in his career now. He he is going to be 37 by the halfway mark of next season. But at this level, you know damn well he will still score goals. He's still got it in him to deliver the goods. So in that in that you know in that sense, to begin with, they've got a goal scorer. There's no doubt about that. I think Danny Ward. I think he could be retained to be continue as their first choice keeper. I think they could keep hold of him. I think Everson will be in goal. Everson was obviously James, the goalkeeper towards the end of last season. Yeah, James Justin, like you said, a fully fit James Justin. We know what he's capable of. Harry Suter, obviously, you know, went to, went from Stoke to Leicester in January. Drewsbury Hall, we've seen what he's done at this level with Luton in the past. There's a nucleus there. There really is a nucleus there to build something. They're going to need players, there's no doubt about that. But like you said, everything about Leicester, and it is, frankly, unbelievable that Leicester are going to be in the Championship next season. This feels like the biggest club that's been relegated from the Premier League in a long, long time. In fact, all three of them, really, because we've been so used to the likes of, you know, and I don't mean it with any disrespect, the likes of kind of West Brom, Bournemouth, Fulham, just kind of rotating on a cycle. Norwich, Watford. Yeah, but this time it feels like we've got three real big newbies that have obviously, you know, apart from Leeds, not been here for quite a while. Leicester obviously went up in 2014, was it? Yeah, 2014. And obviously completed the Miracle of all completed the miracle of all miracles two years later. I mean, Leicester won the Premier League seven years ago. They won the FA Cup final two years ago. Now they're in the Championship. This, you know, as hard as it is for Leicester fans to sum up, for, for Championship fanatics like us, it's it's a real treat, this. It feels like something to savour, that we're going to have somebody like Leicester in the division. It's a, you know, it's a really good ground, a really good football club. And I think Leicester as a whole are a football club that, you know, from football in general, I've got quite a lot of respect. I think a lot of people do respect them as a football club. You know, they've done things, obviously it didn't work out this season for whatever reason. And it's quite hard to work out why, because the squad is more than good enough to have stayed up. But they've done things the right way over the last 10 years, really. They, you know, they've progressed as a football club, even though it might not seem it. And, you know, obviously football fans get accused of living in the past, but you cannot take away what Leicester did seven years ago. It, it's unbelievable, that story. But obviously, the here and now, Leicester have got a job. They've got to try and get back to the Premier League at the first attempt. And if they don't, it will be considered as as failure. There's no doubt about that. You've mentioned there the infrastructure that they've got, the training ground. It's it's a work of art, isn't it? It's it's stunning to look at. 
But obviously things are not one on the training ground, they're one on the football pitch. And that is what Leicester have got to do. They've got to try and rediscover that winning mentality. They've got to try and, you know, rediscover a way to win games again. They've got to get an identity back. But with, you know, if they sell the likes of Barnes, Ndidi, Madison, they're going to be talking mega money coming into the coffers there. And if they can reinvest that in the squad, they're going to be able to build a very, very good championship side. Obviously, question marks remain about Dean Smith and that situation. But, you know, if we were to sit down and have this discussion in four weeks' time, three weeks into the transfer window, and Leicester have got, you know, a handful of deals done, we, we could be talking about a team being well on their way to building a very good squad capable of mounting a title charge. So, I think of the three, I agree with you, Leicester are in the best position to bounce back. The only little question mark is about the manager. Will they stick or twist with Dean Smith? Time will tell. But I think if they do stick with him, it wouldn't be the worst decision in the world, even if it's not the most popular. Who do you think will finish highest of those three clubs? I think Leicester, without a doubt. I really do. I'm not saying that Leicester are going to go and absolutely romp their way to the title and you know batter everyone in the process. But I think of the three, I think Leicester are certainly the, the, the most established to, to have the best season of the three. And then I think personally, at the moment, as the situation is surrounding Leeds, I would then have Southampton as, you know, like the second best performer of the three with Leeds of the third. But as I say, the transfer window could change the perception very quickly. We'll see what happens. But I think at the minute, as things stand, as we talk now, you've got to expect big things from Leicester next season. Yeah, I I agree on Leicester. Leeds, I I don't know. Who knows? Southampton, I think, will be not as... I don't think Southampton's ceiling is as high as Leeds, but the floor is probably not quite as low either. So, yeah. So we'll just see what it. happens with, with, with those teams. It's going to be interesting to watch how they develop over the summer and how those squads evolve. Obviously, none of them have got permanent managers right now, so plenty of chopping and changing to come. We'll finish off, George, with Sheffield Wednesday. They are back in the Championship after beating Barnsley at Wembley on Monday. Club record points total, finishing with 96 points in third. The most to never be automatically promoted. They got the club record clean sheets this season. Of course, an amazing comeback against Peterborough in the playoff semi-finals, where they were four 0 down after the first leg, won five one, and then on penalties against Peterborough, and then an one hundred twenty third minute winner at Wembley through Josh Windass to get Darren Moore's side back in the second tier after two years away. Perhaps I think some of the narrative coming out of that game that there was a bit of fortune on the day with a couple of decisions. I, I think that Barnsley probably should have had a penalty for Lee Gregory's challenge on Liam Kitching, but I also think that it was a red card from Adam Phillips for his challenge on Gregory as well because I think he's endangering an opponent and out of control and that is what the criteria is for a red card. Whether you think that it should be probably in the... if you Do I want that to be a red card? Not necessarily, but by the laws of the game, which the referees have to officiate it is a red card in my opinion so I do think there was some fortune obviously Luke Connell missed a massive chance at nil-nil as well but when you look at the course of the season and you know to pick up 96 points I don't think you can say in any way shape or form that Sheffield Wednesday did not deserve to get promoted in the 22-23 season they're back in the championship how will they fare well undoubtedly this side is going to have to evolve from what it is right now. And that's okay. That's part of the plan. You know, this was a team that was built for League One promotion. It was a team that was built with experience. You know, it had the the highest average age in in League One. It was built 
full of experienced players to get them out of the league. That was the hurry. The rush was to get back into the championship for the obviously the financial difference and to be back at a level they feel they should be at. There is a huge lack of young emerging talent in that squad. They will need to bring in fresh legs, younger players, if they are going to make sure that they are competitive and to make sure they continue to progress. The squad needs to evolve. That is okay. That was part of the plan. The squad was built to get promoted. Mission succeeded. The next part is how can this team evolve? What will the recruitment strategy be this summer? Can they bring in younger, more dynamic players? Can they use the loan market a little bit better, I would argue, as well? Undoubtedly, they're a massive club to have back at this level. And just like Ipswich and Plymouth, although it's early days, you would expect them to be better than three other teams, even in their current state, in the Championship. I don't think any of the three promoter teams will be within the bottom three bookmakers' odds to go back down. I don't think there'll be many 1-24s, to depending on how the recruitment goes. I don't think that many people would predict any of the three promoter teams to go straight back down. However... Um, they've still got plenty to do with the squad this summer. They've obviously re- retained some key players like Byers, like Lee Gregory, uh, Dominic Iorfa, and obviously Barry Bannon and Liam Palmer have signed uh, new deals due to contract uh, due to appearance-based clauses in their contracts. So they've got a good nucleus of experience. They've got a manager who has performed well in the Championship before. They're a club that's used to being the Championship, a big club back at this level. The next challenge is to see the squad evolve. I don't think that comparisons to Sunderland are particularly healthy. I don't think that there's that many parallels other than the fact that they are two massive clubs that were in League One probably longer than they should have been. But Sunderland had a squad of young players that were growing, ready to grow into the Championship. I think Sheffield Wednesday have got a squad that doesn't have that same natural young talent, those players ready to kick into the league. I think you've got players that are either at their at their peak right now or have probably just fallen short of championship level or or are yet to really prove themselves a definite championship player. So I don't think the comparisons are that similar apart from the fact they're two big clubs with a bit of momentum behind them. So with the right recruitment, I think Sheffield Wednesday could be a solid mid-table team next season, but I certainly would be surprised at this stage, depending on who they recruit, if we're talking about a team that's right up there challenging for the top six next season. No, definitely not. You've summed it up perfectly. They're, they're in desperate need of bringing younger legs into this group of players. We, we've seen this season that you know the squad has aged. It is an aging team. They've obviously offloaded a few. The retain list has already come out. They've wasted no time in, in getting things done. I think Darren Moore's gone on record saying this week that he wants people within the football club to be you know on it when it comes to recruitment. They've got to act quickly. They know that they've obviously by going through the playoffs and that uncertainty of what league they're going to be in, they've lagged behind. The, the other two that have got promoted, they've, you know, they've had to kind of plan for two different scenarios in the last few weeks. But obviously, they've got the job done. They are back up. They are back in the championship for next season. But there is work to be done with this squad. I think they've got something like 17 senior players on their books now following the retain list coming out. There's a lot of work to be done in, in every position of the squad. You know, Barry Bannon, arguably their, their talisman, their main man. He, I think he's 34 next Gregory's already 34. They, they, you know, that, that proves what they need. They need younger legs. They need fresh energy if they're going to kick on. Personally, I think Wednesday will be competing in the bottom half next season. I don't expect anything too drastic. They've got to get, you know, back in the championship. The first things for first things first, they've got to stabilize there. They've got to stave off the threat of relegation, as every team does when they've just come up. And as I've already said earlier on, the division looks a lot stronger next year than it has this season. So 
Wednesday have obviously gone from being the the big the big fish in the small pond in League One to now being the little fish in the big pond in the Championship again. As you know, Wednesday historically are a big football club, but in the last few years they've obviously faced a lot of difficulties. The last time they were in the Championship, they started with a twelve point deduction, it was obviously reduced to six, and they they ended up going down on the final day. But Darren Moore. Over the last couple of years, he's rebuilt the culture at that football club. He's rebuilt a winning mentality. He's changed a lot of things for the good. And a lot of people have said Darren Moore tactically is not the best. There are certainly holes in that. He's certainly got to improve in that sense. But in terms of being a, a leader and a, and a manager that can guide you know, a group of not just the players, but the staff and everything else, he's proven that he is one of the best in the business at doing that. He is a proper leader. And he's got so much respect throughout the game for that. And I he's think a figurehead, isn't he? And his he ability is. to manage upwards as well in terms yeah. of his relationships with Dave Ponchanceri, who obviously has been a, an outspoken character and has at times hamstrung Sheffield Wednesday yeah. during his time at the club. He, his, his ability to manage that situation has been pretty flawless, really. Yes, there's probably parts of his tactical acumen that can develop as players develop as well. Managers progress as well and evolve. Definitely. So th- those are the challenges for him and what, what we want to see next season. Yeah, definitely. And we saw at West Bromwich Albion, didn't we? And I thought it was it was very harsh when they sacked him back in, I think it was March 20, I want to say 2019, I think it was. Do forgive me if it was the year a little bit. I seem to recall it was definitely March in either of those two years. West Brom were fourth at the time. And, you know, that summer, West Brom, uh, that season, I should say, West Brom had got a really good group of players. They, I mean, they got Harvey Barnes on loan. They got Dwight Gale, Jay Rodriguez up front. So if you're giving the right tools to work with, you know, Darren Moore's proven that he can get a tune out of a, out of a group of players. The thing for me, for Sheffield Wednesday next season, that will be key to their hopes of staying up, which, you know, it might look a little bit disappointing to be kind of setting a target of staying up. But I think every team that's newly promoted must, first and foremost, set that benchmark of let's avoid the dropping off first season back up. The, the key for Sheffield Wednesday for them, without a doubt, is going to be their home form. They've, they've turned Hillsborough into a fortress under Darren Moore. They've only lost three of the last 46 league games over the last two seasons in League One. Won 32 of them, scored a hell of a lot of goals. But obviously, they're going to be up against a much, much better calibre of opposition next season. So they've got to get recruitment right. They've got a lot of work to do. I think personally, they could need you know, to strengthen the squad as a whole, not just the 11. I think they could easily need up to maybe eight, nine, ten players this summer, without a doubt. You know, Low market feels like it could be key. But Darren Moore... You know, he's utilised the loan market really well in the past, at both West Brom and Sheffield Wednesday. He's got contacts within the game. I know from a colleague of mine, Manchester United are, are particularly fond of the way Darren Moore works. So could there be connections there that Wednesday look to, to Old Trafford to maybe bring one or two youngsters in that they plan to develop? So let, let's see what they can do. But, you know, a, a brilliant, brilliant run for the football club. They've had a really good season, 96 points. Club record, club record clean sheets you mentioned, the 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 playoff miracle, which is what it was, four 0 down in the first leg, came back and, you know, beat Peter in the second leg and then obviously won the final in dramatic fashion at Wembley. They've got form in the sails. That you know, they've got momentum about them. Can they keep that going? They need new faces, there's no doubt about that. They're gonna have to act quite quickly because obviously they've you know, they've lagged behind with their season finishing two, three weeks later than the others that have got promoted. But Darren Moore's proven he's, he can get a tune out of a group and he's got the fans, he's back in now. And, you know, if Wednesday can kick on and stabilise next season and gradually build up, 
could he be the man that takes them right back to the Premier League? It's a long, long journey that they're about to embark on. But at the minute, they've got momentum behind them and, you know, going to be interesting to see what they can do in the summer. And that rounds off this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave us a review, share with a friend, all the usual gubbins. Try and help the podcast grow for next season. We're looking forward to coming back bigger and better for next year. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 for all the latest championship news throughout the summer. And a huge thank you again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Delighted that they will be sponsoring the podcast again next season as well. Thank you for listening. Have a great summer and we'll catch you again very soon for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.